Hello, and welcome to Jackie Winter Gives You the Business. I'm Jeremy Wartsman. I'm Bianca Bremham. And I'm Lara Chan Baker. Jackie Winter Gives You the Business is a weekly podcast from the Jackie Winter Group, which is a creative production and representation studio based in Melbourne and New York City. What originally started out as a business conference for artists and fellow creatives is now being turned around to shine a light on our clients. From art buyers and creative teams to fellow producers and managers, this podcast is all about offering a glimpse into the work we do as the bridge between clients and creatives. It's an ongoing exploration of how to wrangle the creative process to achieve excellence no matter what the medium. Hello. 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 <laughs> How's everyone going? I'm good. Excellent. I'll be honest, we're recording this a little bit later than normal, so I'm a little, I'm, I'm getting a little tired. Where are you physically? I'm at the office on my own. Loser. It's a little creepy. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I really want to before we get into things. Yes. Um, I, anything that I can get statistics on, I, um, I'm obsessed with. So, for example, like this podcast, we can see sort of where people are listening and I cannot stop refreshing it. And I just want to give a quick shout out to our one listener in Romania. What We're up? doing this all for you, bro. All for you. And what about our Nicaraguan? This is true. And like 15 listens in South Africa. Who are you? I love it. Yeah, we want to know who you are. Email us at podcast at jackiewinter.com. I want to be able to say... We're big in Japan. Exactly. That's my dream. <laughs> um, all right. So today, our work relies on good relationships with clients. First up, we go over ways that agents can prove their worth and tackle some misconceptions about the work that we do. And later on, we jump off the huge topic we spoke about in an earlier episode. Last time, we asked, what makes a good producer? Today, we ask, what makes a good client? Yeah, lots to get into. But um, before that, we'll talk about some things that have been going around our virtual water cooler of Slack. There have been a few interesting things that popped up in the last week. I think one of my favorites is this um, job ad for Ogilvy and Mather. Um, B, you posted this. I think it was definitely doing the rounds in lots of um, our advertising feeds. Um, where did you originally see, see this? I think I found it on LinkedIn or Twitter. I cannot be sure, but I feel like LinkedIn at the moment is my favorite social media platform. There's definitely some interesting things happening there. I feel like I just I need to prune like the 3,000 contacts oh, I have there. Same. Um, but just to go back, yeah, this, this is basically, it's a job ad for an account manager for Ogilvy and Mather, and it's kind of designed in a really traditional kind of 60s, 70s um you know, type heavy ad that has kind of a, a checklist of things that kind of you should ask yourself if you think you can work at Ogilvy. Um, I love this ad. I mean, not only because of the callback, but it's just it's visual callback, but just phenomenal copywriting here. Um, what's your favorite point here, B? Oh, for me, I I really like. Do you have the guts to say I don't know? I'll have to call you back when I've got the facts. We don't deal in calculated guesses and we don't tolerate hip shooters. That's one of my favorites. And another Twinsies, one. That's, that's, yeah. That is mine. <laughs> <laughs> I liked uh, number seven. Do you follow up? Loose ends in any business can drive you crazy. In our business, it can paralyze you. Amazing. We could probably do a whole podcast breaking down each of these different points, but it's, I definitely recommend everyone check this out, um, especially given the topics of today. Um, another app that's been going around is this one called Muzzle. Ah, um, I love this. And the reason we really like this, I mean, the app itself, I don't, I don't fully understand because, like, I know, well, for OS, um, for Mac OS, you can just go and do not disturb mode and turn your notifications off. And you this can? app is all about. 
Yeah, you're right in your notification center in the top right-hand corner. You can just go and um, you have night shift and you have do not disturb. Learning every day. Anyway, um, but this is all about, okay, you know, it silences your notifications. And they've uh, they've designed all these notifications that, that come up. Yeah, you've got to go to the splash page. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah. the app itself, whatever. Who cares if you use it or not? But it's so worth going to the website it's just so well designed you, you land on it and it just seems like very very basic like download this app and then they have all these fake notifications that pop up on the side and they're just oh my god I can't imagine how much fun as a copywriter it would have been to write these um, so there's like a slack message from Noah that says HR says genital warts aren't covered <laughs> your flashlight has been shipped <laughs> it's like a-, a calendar reminder for your therapy appointment um, Antonio fourth floor employee bathroom 20 minutes this is a real problem, though. It, one time at Creative Mornings, like, and I had quit all of my apps, which I always do for every Creative Mornings, and I had a calendar notification pop up in the middle of a speaker, like in an audience of two hundred. It was, it was just, I was dying. So, what was the calendar notification? Anyway, we can move on from there. What? No, uh, Jeremy. I don't remember. Uh, <laughs> I played the fifth. Um, uh, another thing that's been fantastic is um, Google has expanded their VR efforts. Um, they, you know, have they really kind of made a splash with Tilt Brush, which is their kind of VR drawing app for the Vive and Oculus. Um, and now they got something new is called... Is it Vive? I say Vive. I thought it was Vive. Oh, yeah. Sorry, it probably is Vive. Hmm. Anyway, anyway, continue. Um, so they've got a new platform called Blocks, which is just mind-bending. We've got a VR set up here, and I had a bit of a war with it before, and basically it's it's kind of a like where i guess tilt brush allows you to kind of just draw freehand blocks is more like a constructor for you to build kind of 3d objects it looks so cool yeah it's it's we're so excited about ar and vr this is definitely is a topic we're going to be coming back to um but yeah if you it's have worth watching the demo video to see how it functions it's, it's yeah even, awesome. if you, even if you don't have it as well um and what they've also done is kind of added this new gallery function um they have this for blocks and for tilt brush where you know you can have artists who are really fantastic fantastic at doing this and you can jump into the platform and see the object or um, painting being done um, in space there. So yeah, really amazing what's happening in that space. And then finally, um, there was a New York Times piece that um, Laura, you linked to, and I thought this was kind of, this was interesting going on from, again, our writing and tone episode where I kind of spoke about that Onion article. Um, tell us about this piece and why you liked it. I love this. I think, you know, if I wasn't a producer, I'd love to be a sort of linguist writing things just like this. Um, there's a New York Times piece from uh, a writer named Jessica Bennett. Um, the title is Laugh and the World Laughs With You. Type ha huh? and not so much. And um, basically, it's it's really interesting. It's really amusing, but it's also really interesting looking at um, uh, sort of written forms of laughter. So ha, 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 in all caps, lol, lols, ruffle, LMAO, whatever it might be. And um, the subtle differences between all of those and how they're used and how they've had to replace actual sort of like oral laughter cues um and it's it's fascinating I really really like it um I mean they talk about like sort of the different age groups and different types of people that use things like he 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 or like hut with an exclamation mark or whatever it might be um it's really worth a read we'll pop it in the show notes yeah I mean we <laughs> we say lol here out loud all the time all the time but they talk about how lol doesn't actually necessarily always mean laugh out loud it's just like a um just a, a word like um or mm might be to signify that you are um, engaging in the conversation. Like if someone says a sentence, you go, mm, lol, and then they continue. <laughs> this is just showing how Larry David was so ahead of his time. Do you, do you, did you see that Curb Your Enthusiasm episode where it was 
all about how that one character kept saying she was saying LOL though out loud. She's like, LOL. Will you hate me if I say I've never watched Curb Your Enthusiasm? Get out now. Oh, a rage gave me a very bad look. I'm sorry, guys. Okay, we'll put all these links on our show notes at jackiewinter.givesyouthe.biz. We're going to get right into our first topic, which is really all about proving our worth as agents and producers to our clients. I think that, um, I mean, this is definitely going to be a bit more of a bias kind of thing, but this is something that kind of has, that I guess comes up a bit. Um, that we don't always get the chance to No, we don't, we don't really have kind of a platform to kind of talk about this. But so I think, we made our own. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Listen to us. And we thought the best way to kind of tackle this is kind of go over some common misconceptions. Um, how does aging contribute to the overall success of a project? Are we worth it? These are Yes. <laughs> segment over <laughs> these are questions that clients inevitably find themselves asking and today we're going to explore these misconceptions about the work that we contribute to a project so I think one of the first things one of the things that I kind of see come up the most often is that um, we make things too expensive which is which is interesting because I don't I, I don't know if it's a matter of expense I think it's about that we, we kind of keep things fair we keep the industry healthy um, Laura B do you have any thoughts on this yeah I mean this is ripping right off the band-aid right this is probably the most awkward <laughs> bit of feedback that we get but I think it's like you know it's important for us to maybe dig a little bit deeper and kind of try and understand where this misconception is perhaps coming from and yeah I mean like I like my opinion is that you know we aren't expensive you know we're, we're kind of working with our artists to free up their them to be able to do what they need to do and make the process as easy as as possible but you know kind of like bottom line like I think it really just comes down to having an understanding of what an agent actually does and the value that they bring to the creative process which I'm kind of curious to hear both of your thoughts on but you know it's a competitive market we wouldn't be in the business if we were greedy like our intention as agents is really to be looking out for both sides of the equation and make sure that creative work is being valued as fairly as possible which is what you know you're kind of getting up before so we're really I think looking to help level the playing field for everyone so that you know we can allow artists to continue to trade and that clients are able to have access to the talent that they need when they need it so it's about I think it's about um fairness I think as well like a key um thing to point out is that um so you are not paying more for the same thing you're paying more because you get more absolutely right like it, you know it, it's exactly the same as buying a car buying a sandwich is not a great example buying a, a house or whatever it is you pay more if you want more and and that's the service that we offer when you when you go to an agent you're paying for someone who can um, guide the process get the best out of the artist and therefore get you a better result well again and we can only speak for ourselves in this, this regard true. and i think you hear kind of agent and there's always kind of I guess Ari Gold kind of. Well, yeah. There's always kind of a negative connotation to it. Whether it's like, like you know, I don't know how many times you hear about you know a positive experience with real estate agents and insurance agents, kind of people who are kind of I guess at the at the fringes of industry and capitalism, um, where they're kind of just this middleman that kind of I guess is blocking you from kind of getting what you want. And that's why I think it's important that. You know, the Maybe agent, we should change our name. Well, you know, the, we have kind of often really struggled with what our what our kind of titles are, and I think that the fact is that agents played a much different role 
10 to 20 years ago as they kind of do now, where the pure representation side of the business was the most important thing because you had to have books and those you had to have agents hitting the streets and they had to kind of, and that's how yeah, art directors no other way of, to find artists. There, yeah. there was no other way. And I think um, what we were talking about in the last episode in terms of, I guess, our value now isn't just kind of corralling those artists and bringing them to people, but it's knowing those artists and knowing how they work and knowing how to get the best of them as well. So the agent side of things is has a bit of a different edge now, but right now the the work that we do as producers I think is really kind of where we're bringing a lot of our value to the table in terms of I guess also not just helping our artists like you were mentioning B, but helping our clients as well in terms of managing their own time and I think the clients who have been around and working for the longest time know um, really kind of value us the most because they have tried to work with people directly and then they have worked with I guess a larger apparatus and can see the advantages that that brings and like you know like if you have tried to it's the difference between going to a car dealership and trying to get something from Gumtree you know totally it, it's like you could you could use this metaphor in kind of so many different ways like yes of course like you might save some money if you buy something kind of directly but also do you, you don't want, know what you're getting you don't know what you're getting yeah, you don't know vetted, it, yeah so yeah there's there's a kind of a lot there. This isn't to say that every single project that we do is gonna like is gonna be completely seamless and kind of amazing. Or that you couldn't work directly with an artist and, and, and get a great result. I mean, off, that happens very often. Absolutely. I think uh, look, there's there's a lot to be said kind of on the value proposition of what we do and how that relates to money. Like any product, it depends who you are, what kind of client you are and what you need different services like ours are going to be right for different people. Absolutely. And look, it's it's not a matter, I, I don't want to kind of get too much into the weeds here, but I think the bottom line here with the this kind of misconception is that we don't make things expensive. That might be the actual kind of end result, but that's not our intention. Our intention is to make sure everyone's kind of time is being valued properly. And when people feel their work is valued properly, um, they do their best work. And that's kind of really what we want to see. Um, I guess that does lead into the second misconception is that we make things too complicated or we don't add value. Um, Laura, have you experienced this in your yeah, work. I think there's there's often a reluctance to work with agents because they can have a tendency to ask a lot of questions. Um, and for someone who just wants to get into the project and make a start, I can see how that might feel like agents sort of get in the way or delay the action, um, overcomplicating things unnecessarily. And I've definitely been met with frustration when I've asked for clarification on multiple points of a brief or, or pointed out something that doesn't seem feasible. And I can certainly understand why. Um, however, it is key to understand that the reason why an agent is seemingly making things more complicated and that's because they're doing the due diligence that a lot of unrepresented artists don't. Um, they're making sure that for the cash you're putting in, you're going to get what you need out of it. They're checking that what you've proposed is doable by the deadline, that the artist you're interested in is actually the right fit, that you've thought about all the elements of the brief in detail. And that's one of the key areas that our value comes in, um, as you said, when we're acting as producers as well as agents. But also, the specific value that only an agent brings that, that no one else really can is an intimate understanding of a full roster of artists. So a deep familiarity with how their artists like to work, what drives them nuts, what do they need from you to produce their best work, what programs or materials do they use to create their work, what are the possibilities and limitations of those, what will they compromise on in a negotiation, what's a deal breaker, what causes are they passionate about, are they 
uncontactable from 8 till 9am while they drop their kids off at school? How fast do they work? Do they have access to a super high-res scanner? Are they good with deadlines or do they need strict reminders and on and on and on and on? And that's what you're paying for, really, this intimate knowledge of how to get the very, very, very best out of an artist. Absolutely. And again, this isn't just kind of artists as well, but like it could be said more broadly of account managers. And it's something mm, really... Absolutely. And this is why I'm really interested in this kind of idea of design studios who have the designers doing the account management kind of directly as well. Like what kind of experience is kind of there and whether you really kind of... like I think you'd have to know yourself and your own implicit biases and your own kind of neuroses so intimately to really offer that kind of service like combined with the design service um, for it to really kind of be effective in that way. But yeah, I, I think it's it's so fraught because in the kind of work that we're doing at the moment, there is this desire to move really quickly. It's like it's everything is happening so quickly. You know, media is being booked so quickly. It's like you just want to get the creative and kind of get it out before the client even sees their other things. So everyone kind of wants to move quickly. And sometimes when we get involved, we can slow that momentum down. So I won't deny that kind of doesn't happen. But at the same time, I have seen where we've kind of raised questions which have brought up very kind of important issues that have to be kind of actually resolved because sometimes you're going too fast. Like speed bumps to yeah. stop you from crashing into another car. That's yeah, We're the speed bumps of the industry. Well, exactly. That's not that nice, is it? Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, sometimes safety features aren't really kind of that sexy, but, um, you know, it's... Yeah, what's a better metaphor we can come up with? We'll think about that in the next week and we'll kind of come back. I do think that the challenge for us as the middleman um, is to is to kind of balance, like I guess bring that balance between being actively involved and also stepping back and allowing the creative process to happen between, you know, the client and the artist or the client and the, you know, the, the studio as, as quickly as possible. And that's like, that's you know, that's something that is, it's tricky to get the balance right, but it's, yeah, it's something that, a good agent should be able to, yeah. But if, if we're doing our job right, we're actually facilitating that completely unfiltered um, experience between those two parties. So they don't have to worry about talking about that other stuff. So really, in the end, the things that we're asking are to facilitate that direct connection. So that you don't have to. Exactly. Yeah. So that brings us to the final misconception, which is that producers or agents are not creative or kind of contributing to a project. And this is what I kind of find to be one of, I guess... Not the most offensive, but um, it kind of um, really glosses over the fact that a lot of producers and agents come from creative backgrounds to begin with. And, and that I, they use that creativity to do their jobs well. Exactly. I mean, there's, I think every producer or, or account service person that I've met like there that's in the creative services industry has a really kind of deep appreciation and admiration for the craft. I know myself, like I, I say all the time that I don't really kind of have any real kind of creative hands-on skill that's why i love kind of doing what i do because i get so much kind of juice from you know from being in that kind of environment and i think that a good producer will actually use their technical knowledge which is something that i'm kind of very passionate about to to move those kind of things forward just like we were talking about in what makes kind of a good brief if a good a good producer can kind of step in and see okay this technical requirement is not something that this kind of person can actually do or the way that this person works from our knowledge of working with them it's going to take too long and it's not going to kind of meet their their deadline or it's going to you know it's going to cost kind of a bit more so again our we wouldn't be in business as long as we had been in business if if we were kind of actually 
guilty of these misconceptions. So whenever we kind of go into a project, our bottom line is how can we kind of make this happen? How can we come out so everyone, you know, is getting this project done and that people are talking about our business in the most positive light? And that's what we've kind of been doing. Totally. And I think, I mean, the creatives are there to, to come up with this big, fantastic idea, right? But the producers are there to take that idea on paper and, and turn it into a into a thing that exists in the world and you can't do that without creativity or having a deep understanding of how the creative process works. So I think, yeah, you're right that that, that myth is... is very wrong. And most of what actually happens, it goes on behind the scenes. And this is where I really kind of love that point from the Ogilvy ad that we were talking about is about the best thing that a producer or agent can do is saying, like, I don't know right now, but I'm going to kind of find out and come back to you. And I think that's a trait that we love to hire for and that I try to, I guess, embody in my life is this endless kind of curiosity where if you don't know something, we go and kind of research it and we find out and then we kind of bring it back. So... If you haven't had an experience with, um, you know, with an agent or producer, you, you can always give us a call. That can be our self promo bit for this yeah. week. Um, but otherwise, we definitely think it's, you know, it's a worthwhile conversation to have and um, and keep talking about. So. And we'd be interested to hear about any other myths or questions or problems you've had with agents or producers that we could discuss. Absolutely, I think with all these topics, I mean, we, I mean, we're doing this weekly. There's going to be part twos like for everything kind of coming around. So please drop us an email at podcast at jackiewinter.com, and we'll hope to get to it in a future episode. Moving on to our second topic of what makes a good client. So, yeah, I thought this was something interesting to kind of delve into because we've spoken about what makes a good producer. We've spoken about what makes a good agent or account service person. Um, but, yeah, we haven't really kind of gone to the flip side of what makes a good client. There's a lot to go into here. Um, B, start us off. What do, you, what do you think is the first thing that makes a good client? Hmm. I, I guess for me, good clients that I've worked with generally have, you know, they have a good understanding already of the value of creative work and, you know, have maybe a pretty good base understanding of what different types of projects are worth. You know, I love working with clients where there's a mutual respect for the value that everyone is bringing to the projects and, you know, moments where the client may be asking the creative to go above and beyond or take on work for maybe slightly below industry standards, they're handled respectively by a good client. Um, because good clients, you know, they do understand that you get what you pay for. Absolutely. And we, we can't forget that we talk about this a lot, that this is a commercial art. This is a you know, commercial outcome. This is all about commerce and, and about money being exchanged. So um, understanding you get what you pay for, that's a huge part of the value of what we're bringing and what everyone kind of brings to it. I think that also kind of comes back to um, about someone believing in you as well and having a client that is willing to kind of fight for you and the creative vision. So again, someone who is not kind of a, a conduit but is playing an active role role in that process where, um, you know, things do get heated often in, you know, when you're, when everyone's kind of fighting for an idea and you're bringing in someone's kind of personal art form as well. Yeah. Things do get really kind of personal. And I think that often you do have to kind of defend yourself or you kind of have to talk about why things will work, why things won't work. Having, it's very easy to get kind of tripped up in a power dynamic of, okay, I'm the client, I'm kind of paying for this, you're kind of doing this kind of for me, when that's not always going to get the best result. It's really about kind of this cooperation. So, totally. Well, that goes back to what we talked about in the last episode of, of having a client treat you like a creative partner, not just a, a vendor. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. On th- one team, you for, know. For sure. We'll, we'll kind of get into kind of how information is kind of trafficked a bit more. But yeah, when you kind of present something and someone in that person is able to kind of take it up and kind of actually make things kind of happen, just as we kind of know our artists and people who are for us the best, they know whatever kind of their culture is in their, or, or whatever's happening behind the scenes in a different way. So yeah, I think a client... Yeah, well, for specifically for ad clients... For the agencies we work with, there's usually an ed, an end client on the other side. So we're relying on this on our client to take our work, present it to their client, and and fight for it, you know, and um, and not be the not just say yes to everything their client asks for if it's not right for the project or right for the vision. Oh, l- let's go back to the Ogilvy ad again because this is again such a great piece of communication. Point eleven: um, Can you say no to a client? Our clients expect candid counsel from their account manager, not subservience. So, yeah. Well, one of the best things you can do for to a client is is to say no. I mean, not for no reason, but they're hiring you to do a job that they can't do. So if you're just saying yes to every request they have, then they could do it themselves. You know, it's not helping in any way. Mike Montero talks about that a lot as well. B, what about, I mean, we talked about consolidation of feedback. Um, we've talked about this in a few different episodes, but um, this kind of gets on to the, you know, willingness to fight for you. What do you, what do you think about this? Yeah, I mean... I, I was kind of thinking when we were thinking about this um, this episode about one of my favorite podcasts, Australian Design Radio. Then they did a really fantastic interview with Chris Laws, who is a managing director of Born and Raised Agency. And what I think they are just give me yeah. a shout out to, to our guys there, Flynn. Matt. Love love Australian Design Radio. But one of the things that I really loved about this interview, I think it was from maybe March this year, um, you know, and it's something that you've kind of brought up a couple of times in this conversation already is Chris spoke about um, being a creative account manager rather than just someone who facilitates information, you know, mm. which is what we look for in a good producer and hope for in a in a good client. But I kind of think like, you know, everything that we spoke about in terms of the, you know, what we look for in a what makes a good producer is you know it's like traits and skills that are transferable to a client too and I think you know for someone like Chris his background was actually he was a graphic designer he went through award school so you know he actually worked on the tools and I think that that was maybe helpful in shaping his approach to account management um yeah it's a really great episode yeah I do suggest having a listen well yeah you go into something interesting here which is I think everything that we talk about what makes a good agent and why agents add value could re- apply to clients like absolutely like there's there's no reason that you couldn't look at a client as being an that I mean technically they're an agent of their own client you know like they're mm-hmm. representing oh, the client they're representing the ad agency so they're doing effectively the kind of the same job so there's a lot of crossover here in this list yeah I mean one of I guess one of the things that I love about working with a good client is that they you know they make the process easy like it's so nice to receive a great email from a client where they've you know thought about things in advance and you know presented it in a way that's you know, like they've they've digested the brief or they've digested their creative's feedback or their client's feedback and they've thought about it critically before passing it on. Um, you know, and they know they, what you need from them in order yeah. to do your job. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So before asking that. you to do something, they give you what it is you need in order to do it. Well, that yeah. comes back to, I guess, this this big topic about kind of respect, which is kind of something, mm-hmm. yeah, that, that runs pretty deep. Laurie, totally. You- well, I mean, there's nothing as nice as working with someone who truly genuinely respects you and your colleagues and your ideas and your time and your processes and respect really manifests in all manner of ways. I mean, it means respecting someone's role in the process and acknowledging their expertise in what you've hired them to do. Um, And all of these things go both 
ways. But, um, you know, it means respecting that they're juggling all sorts of things and they do have commitments outside of yours and respecting their time after hours and over weekends um, when possible, respecting that they have certain processes for a reason and that they need you to do your job properly in order for them to do theirs. Um, respecting that they're doing everything they can to get you what you need and that that takes a lot of time and effort and expertise. Um, having respect for their fees and why their work is worth it. Respecting that sometimes, no matter how much time and planning everyone puts in, uh, sometimes things go wrong and you know, ultimately you are on the same team. Um, respecting them enough to read emails properly, to be on time to calls and meetings as much as you can or to let them know when you can't. Um, respecting them enough to be honest about your project and your timings and your budget, um, you know, not to mess them around. And, and finally, when you do need to have difficult conversations, respecting them by being calm and solutions focused and not making things personal. Ooh, so much gold there to wrap my head around. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's it's I'm absolutely full true. Full of gold, Jeremy. Look, this and you know, I think we're talking about this as a job that's kind of in progress. Um, but this happens a lot, I think the respect level at, you know, even before a job happens because there's so many times where if you know, if we're tendering or pitching on a job, or if we have to put kind of really big treatments together, that that takes a lot of time. We're all investing our time in that, and sometimes it's like one one of the things that I guess gets me the most is not he not getting feedback about either why we might not have won something, or just kind of not acknowledging, um, you know, not acknowledging the kind of work that kind of went into it. And that that lays foundations. Like there are so many times that clients have then come back to us after mm. that. And maybe they're not in that same agency, but they're kind of somewhere else. And they want us to kind of do it again. And I don't think we're going to, like, you know, we might not kind of put the same effort in if we know that it hasn't, it hasn't been acknowledged. Sometimes it isn't about respect, but respect can kind of have different, can have different manifestations. We talk a lot about acknowledgement. Sometimes acknowledgement is respect just in that regard. Say like, yeah, I got it. You know, or like, it, it's here. It's like, oh, no, sorry. That you, comes you, down you, to respecting their time as well. Like, so you're not making them chase you up to see if you have received something or whatever. It's, um, but yeah, yeah. but respect isn't, you know, it isn't, it can be really hard. It's very hard to do. You're in a relationship and sometimes they get the best out of that. Yeah, you have to do things that are difficult. And sometimes that means kind of giving bad news or, you know, having to disappoint other people. You that can doesn't do mean that respectfully. You can do exactly. But it, it, it's sometimes, I think, it's a fine line because, you know, you want to be nice and we'll talk about pleasantries as well. But, um, yeah, another kind of point that crosses over is about being creative and, and you know, understanding what they're asking for, how it relates to the brief. So just as I think artists have to be technically minded, you as well, us as agents and producers have to be technically minded. This is the whole thing as well about not being just a kind of a conduit and kind of messenger. So understanding um, what they're asking for. And I think this... This comes down to respect as well, because if you're not taking the time or effort to really understand what the what is being kind of asked of you to ask of someone else, then yeah, then you are just complicating the process. You're you're not kind of adding value into there. So I find that the more kind of educated people are about the work that they're kind of doing, um, that makes them really fantastic because you can have technical conversations kind of with them all together, and it really makes it more productive. Absolutely. B, this is something I guess I wanted to ask you as well, because, you know, you spent lots of, um, you spent many years as a an, as an animation producer working with kind of clients, and there's obviously a lot of technical um, requirements that need to be discussed with clients from, especially from everything in, in 3D, lighting, rigging, texturing, all that stuff, to 2D hand-drawn animation. Um, what did you find was made a good client when you're working in a highly technical field like that? 
Oh, I think, I mean, I think we've, we've kind of talked about it a, a little bit already, but it's someone that, that is kind of curious about the process and is interested in, in understanding it and, you know, asks appropriate questions to try and get a handle on, you know, technically what can and can't be achieved. And, you know, you know, as a producer, if I'm, it's, it's nice to have a conversation with someone and feel like you're speaking on the same level but there's obviously always going to be I guess areas where you know as a producer you're perhaps uh, maybe educating your client I think like having a client that's really open to learning and is curious and you know has like a, a I guess a deep empathy for creative work and and kind of like understands where an artist and where a studio might be coming from is really important. But I think it's just a, a curiosity and a like a wanting to learn. Absolutely. And again, I, I think this this point isn't really about saying that, cl- that, cl- that as a client, you need to know everything or you need to be kind of an expert in that thing, just as producers don't as well. But yeah, it is just kind of that initial interest and being able to kind of take something that that is kind of quite technical and be able to kind of, I guess, parse it and work it out in their kind of process and just kind of, I guess, respect those those things that come up and i guess yeah to round things off there is this kind of idea of pleasantries as well which um which you know might seem mm, i guess tokenistic in some ways but it's not at all i mean i i think being pleasant is a huge part of having a positive working relationship with someone um being nice is cool being nice is good um being pleasant to deal with is a combination of all the things we just spoke about you know understanding that you get what you pay for fighting for the creative vision adding value to the project being respectful being creative but also on a much more basic level just being a generally nice person being friendly and and having good manners and i know everyone's busy but taking a moment to ask someone how their weekend was or send some positive feedback crack a little joke say thank you and and so on it just makes what's often a very stressful, intense industry a little nicer for everyone. And I mean, I do my best for all my clients, but I do have certain clients, I think we all do, that I will move heaven and earth for, um, that I have no issue with conference calling on the occasional Saturday at 7am because they're so pleasant and talented and grateful and respectful. Um, you know, that kind of thing goes a really long way. And coming back to what you said about having, you know, sometimes you do have to have these really difficult conversations. One of my favorite clients, we have had to have some pretty difficult conversations over the years about money or about timings that aren't being met or whatever it might be. And um, what I love is that we always manage to have a really nice chat at the start that is personal and friendly. Um, And then in the middle, we have the difficult conversation that is not personal. It's business. We both understand it's business and we have the conversation that we need to have. And at the end, we both say, you know, thank you for your time. Thank you. know, we're both going to see what we can do about that. And we leave things on a really good note. And it doesn't matter how difficult the conversation is in between. We still maintain a really positive, um, friendly, uh, or, you know, working friendly relationship. And I think this is one of the biggest reasons that you should try to meet people whenever possible, because I think especially when you're working with people from all over the globe, everyone's kind of working just online right now, even just doing video calls sometimes like to assure that there's a human being, you know, on the other end of that call. And whether it's kind of developing rapport, as you say, or just kind of developing that respect for them by knowing that they're that they're there. Um, you know, that, that's obviously a big problem at the moment with kind of just the Internet and kind of trolling culture and, you know, commenting and things like that. It's because it completely depersonalizes the person. So the more that you realize kind of they're there, um, the more that it's actually going to, you know, make a great thing happen. So, yeah, a lot to kind of dig into there. But um, I think that'll do us for now.
So closing out every episode, as we have tried to do for the past many episodes, we're going to go into the most Melbourne and most New York thing that's happened this week. Um, Bianca, get us started. What is the most New York thing that's happened to you this week? Oh, this is a bizarre one. So on East 25th Street, where our office is, there's a laser eye surgery, and they actually perform the surgery in the window. So if you're, you know, like if you're walking down the street and you walk past the surgery, you can actually stand there and watch them do the procedure like they broadcast no, no, no. <laughs> I mean like they broadcast no. the audio like like out onto the street as well it is so bizarre the audio aren't people like screaming in pain I mean I don't really know what's involved in laser well, surgery, I clearly, but, yeah I don't, I don't know much about it either but it's really bizarre and that's that was happening today it doesn't happen often but every every couple of weeks I actually do a, a surgery treat. where yeah you can watch it but actually it, it does get more bizarre because the the guy that runs the surgery there's been like a few really fascinating gothamist articles about this particular guy i think one one i remember yeah when i first moved here was uh that claimed that he was offering free procedures in exchange for dates with hotties i remember this yeah. this was mental we've got to find that article <laughs> yeah, that's so yeah, funny. I'll, I'll dig it up <laughs> Laura, what about you? What's the most Melbourne thing that's happened this week? Oh, righto. So I live in Yarraville, yeah? And anyone who lives in Yarraville knows that you don't drive through the village, which is basically just, it's a little strip of shops and restaurants um, because the streets in the village, uh, are like, they're not even one lane. They're like half a lane wide. Um, but technically, they're two-way streets. So when two cars are driving down in opposite directions, one of them has to pull over to the side to let the other through like there's no other way about it and the other day I saw two cars locked in like a total Mexican standoff one was uh, like a full Turak tractor you know like a waspy lady in a brand new SUV and the other was like some hipster head guy in a fully beat up Corolla and they were just holding up all the other cars neither of them willing to pull over both of the drivers just like leaning on their horns like dead weight anyway eventually Corolla kids sort of backed down but um only after the bloke, I loved this, the bloke who sells the big issue on the corner had to like step in and ask what the fuck they were doing. Anyway, I truly felt the spirit of Melbourne in the air. <laughs> I don't think I can compete with that. Thank you, Bianca. Thank you, Jeremy. Thank you, Lara. Thank you, Jeremy. This has been Jackie Winter Gives You the Business. Jackie Winter Gives You the Business is a weekly podcast about creative project management and production and just making things happen in general. Our producer is Areej Noor. You can find the Jackie Winter Group on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at Jackie Winter. That's Jackie with a Y and Winter like the season. You can email us with any recommendations, feedback, questions, or comments at podcast at JackieWinter.com. Archives of all of our shows and show notes can be found at JackieWinter.GivesYouThe.Biz. Our theme music is by Melbourne based musician Jackie Winter. You can check out his stuff on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash Jackie Winter. If you like what you hear, you can really, really, really help us out by subscribing on iTunes, rating us and commenting. Details are on our website with all of our show notes at JackieWinter.GivesYouThe.Biz. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Bye-bye. Anything? Fuck, I got nothing. Um, I'm useless. Just, uh, You're off the podcast. <laughs> <laughs>
Bianca and Lara show. <laughs> um, Driving okay. you home. It's pretty good. <laughs>